waiting time. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the end of the week on Friday the 17th of June. This is Money Talk on Radio 3. Peter Lewis here with the latest business and finance headlines. And it's all about interest rates this morning. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised its base rate by 75 basis points following a similar move by the US Federal Reserve. The increase, effective immediately, increased Hong Kong's base rate to 2%, taking it back to the level of March 2020 before the global COVID-19 pandemic struck. Hong Kong's commercial banks have so far maintained their prime lending rates at about 5%, with HSBC, Standard Chartered and Bank of China choosing not to pass on the higher rate to their borrowers. And the Bank of England on Thursday raised interest rates for a fifth consecutive meeting from 1% to 1.25%. That's the highest level in 13 years. The Bank's Monetary Policy Committee warned that price pressures were becoming more embedded and inflation could surpass 11% later this year. That's more than five, five times the bank's target of 2%. And the Swiss National Bank, they've unexpectedly raised interest rates for the first time in 15 years. The SMB said on Thursday that its benchmark rate would rise from minus three quarters of a percent to minus a quarter of a percent, but rates remain in negative territory. And Taiwan's central bank on Thursday delivered back-to-back interest rate rises for the first time since 2011, but it was a smaller increase than expected. Following a 25 basis point increase last quarter, the central bank increased its pop policy rate by another 12.5 basis points to 1.5%. Economists had been expecting a 25 basis point rise. And global stocks have resumed their declines following the latest set of interest rate increases. The FTSE World Index tumbled 2.3% yesterday, taking its decline since reaching a record high last November to almost 23%. On today's Money Talk, to explain what all these rate rises mean for us, we're joined by Andrew Ferris at Econosis Advisory and Mark Michelson from IMA Asia. With a view from India, it's Toby Lawson of Societe Generale India. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US shares slumped with the tech sector leading the retreat. The S&P 500 ended the session down 3.3% at 3,667, taking the benchmark's losses for the week to 6%. All 500 stocks in the index declined, and less than 5% of the constituents are trading above their 50-day moving average. The Dow sank 742 points, dropping back below 30,000 to 29,927, the lowest level in a year and a half. The Nasdaq plunged 4.1% to 10,646, its lowest close since September 2020. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index closed 2.5% lower. The UK's FTSE 100 tumbled 3.1%. Hong Kong shares rallied at the start of business on Thursday as traders expressed relief over the Fed's determination to fight inflation. But the gains evaporated as the morning wore on and losses accelerated in the afternoon session. By the close, the Hang Seng Index had lost 463 points, or 2.2%, ending at 20,845. 
the tech index slumped 3.3 percent. The Shanghai Composite that fell 0.6 percent to 3,285. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is unchanged at $119.03 a barrel. Gold extended yesterday's gains, rising 1% to $1,852 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell 10 basis points to 3.2%. And in Europe, Swiss 10-year yields spiked to an 11-year high of 1.44% following the surprise rate hike from the Swiss National Bank. And in the currency markets, the US dollar index fell 1% because of strength in the euro, sterling and the Japanese yen. The euro jumped over 1% higher to $1.05 after the ECB said it was preparing what it calls anti-fragmentation tools to prevent bond yields in peripheral eurozone countries from rising too far above those of other countries in the bloc. The Japanese yen, that surged 1.3% to 132.5 against the dollar. Sterling bounced back from early declines to end the day 1.5% stronger at $1.23.5 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.68.5 in offshore markets and Bitcoin is down over 8%, just holding above $20,000. And let me give you um, a quick update on how Asian markets are, are looking this morning. First of all, in Australia, uh, the ASX 200 right now is off about 1.9%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225, uh, that's down 2.25% at the open. The Cosby in South Korea is off 1.25%. And futures markets pointing to a decline of about 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 8.09, let's join our guests. And on the phone, I think from uh, Greece this morning, we have Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. I have noticed, by the way, that as you tour around Europe, shortly after you visit a country, interest rates soar and its stock market collapses. What's going on? Um, absolutely, absolutely. It is, uh, it is, it is a magic touch. Uh, <laughs> next time I have to become really very contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse Midas touch. Also with me here in the yes. studio in uh, Hong Kong is Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Uh, morning, Peter, and, and uh, good evening, Andrew. Thank you, thank you. I thought I thought somebody would notice. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's three o'clock in the morning here. It's later than evening. That, that, yeah, good morning. It's the, sort of morning. The things I do for publicity. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll try and make this easy on you then. So I tell you what, Andrew, why don't you kick off here? We've, we've seen this round of interest rate increases now. The latest one kicked off by the Fed, of course, uh, with its seventy-five basis point rate hike. And um, let me ask you first of all, what's the impact of this going to be here in Hong Kong? Uh, well, the, the interesting part is, is that uh, although the Hong Kong Monetary Authority increases in tandem, market interest rates don't. Uh, we know that some of the banks will, will resist increases whilst they can, unless, of course, the, the, either the overnight or the three-month HIBO begins to increase, because that's where, the fund themselves, that's where the banks themselves do their funding. And then uh, it will be very difficult, in fact, to have an opportunity cost on that. Now, the funny thing is, should interest rates increase and should these lead to a demand for Hong Kong dollars, that could potentially push the Hong Kong dollar down to its uh, 
in inverted commas, highest point, in other words, at its most expensive point, going down to, to, to the 775, and therefore perversely forced the Hong Kong Monetary Authority to, to begin to sell Hong Kong dollars to keep, mm. it, to keep it from going through it. It can happen. So the, the Fed works in, in peculiar ways, and there might be perhaps few weeks whereby we don't really see the immediate impact. In other words, the Americans go up by uh, 125 basis points, and so do we. Mm. But the, the, the main banks have left their prime lending rates unchanged, around 5%. They're running right. out of leeway, though, aren't they? If we get more increases, they're talking about maybe another 75 basis point rate hike from the Fed in July. That can't continue, can it? Exactly, exactly. That's what I said. Unless, unless the, as I said, honky becomes exceptionally strong and that mm. uh, perhaps slows down the increases in the interest rates, potentially, then uh, this, this is not going to happen. But uh, taking a deep breath, the next stage in all this uh, travail is what happens with the uh, Bank of Japan. I must admit, I have high hopes that they will do nothing, and this will simply confirm to me, I'm sorry, Peter, my, my needle has stuck and I'll finish, of the four biggest economies in the world, two are doing nothing to their interest rates, China and Japan. And uh, the other two, well, United States is doing something a lot. And European Union, it's sort of beginning to do it. So are central banks increasing interest rates? All I can tell you is, well, sort of. Mm. Mark, well, what does this mean then for, for businesses here um, in Hong Kong? Well, costs are going up and greater uncertainty, I think, adding to everything else. I mean, there's geopolitical risk, uh, obviously the impact of inflation, the hope that this does something to inflation. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there are many expectations that this is going to happen very quickly, as Andrew sort of sort of suggested. So they're sort of preparing for that and trying to cope with it and trying to decide whether to raise prices to their customers, uh, what to do with their suppliers and so on. It's it's added to their issues. Let's put it this way. And and as costs are surging consumers are obviously noticing that are employees now starting to demand and and get higher wages as well well they certainly have been to to some extent and you know i think i've told this story before that uh, one major company in india was raising was offering their employees 30 to 40 percent raises and they laughed at them because mm. they get much higher, they get higher rates in the in the market. I, you know, that's I think it's finding people that's important. Of course, for airlines too, they mm. they need pilots. But uh, it's it's true, I think, throughout the market. Now, is this situation going to change with the with with everything coming down around us? Uh, I'm not sure, but that's certainly been the situation in the past few months. And and Peter, may I interject here, and it's germane to what we've just have uh, have heard. Uh, If you think, I'm sorry, I I should never say if you think about it. I am thinking a lot about it, that the Japanese have absolutely got it spot on. Look, they refuse to raise interest rates. The yen has absolutely collapsed. This is very good for exports. It is incredibly bad for inputs and therefore increases in the domestic prices. And at the same time, by keeping interest rates down to zero, they don't suit themselves in the foot and hurt the domestic market, like the Americans are doing. You know, it it has occurred to me that this somehow has not been driven through. You know, the Japanese are doing it right. The Americans potentially are doing it wrong. (laughs) The odd way around, I suppose. But if you were a Hong Kong, if you're based here in Hong Kong, a Hong Kong dollar investor, uh, the Hong Kong dollar's at the highest level against the yen now since 2002. You should go out and buy Japanese yen, shouldn't you? I mean, Japanese assets for Hong Kong dollar-based investors must be pretty good. 
Uh, well, the, the, the obvious question is, what are you going to do with your yen? Buy stocks or something. If you put it in the bank, you will get zero interest rates. Mm. Then uh, the other thing is to do something extremely risky, and that is uh, to take very little forex risk and take very high equity risk. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like everything else, it can be done, but should it be done? Uh, and if you're planning a holiday, if you can get out of here and get back, a holiday in Japan is going to be pretty cheap, isn't it, compared historically anyway? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. You remember, tourism is an export, so I think the Japanese got it spot on. They make their export economy competitive, and they are not harming their domestic economy by punishing interest rates. Hello, United States. Hello, United yeah, States. Have you seen this? <laughs> yes, but they have to let in tourism first. And I know they've done it officially. I'm talking about Japan. But as you know, you have to come in. If you're coming in as a tourist, you have to come in with a tourist group, and mm. you have to be met by mm. tourism guides, and they have to be with you during your entire trip to Japan, and it's very limited. So there has not been much take-up yet. Mm. So it's a question of whether they, they move in that area to actually take advantage of the, uh, of the weekend. Where else, Andrew, in, in Asia – you, you say that most central banks, or not all central banks, are raising rates, but around here in Asia, we are seeing bigger than expected uh, rate rises in India, in Korea, in Australia. Where are the pressure points in Asia? Well, Taiwan also has gone up. Singapore has, has, has tightened. I mean, there was never any, any discussion that as the Americans increased that uh, everybody else wouldn't do anything. They did, except China, which is only the third biggest economy in the world. So, you know, if poor Philippines doubles its interest rates, this is very bad for Philippines, but frankly, on a global basis, in inverted commas, who cares? I'm being facetious here. Of course, of course we care what happens to Philippines, but we care more what happens to the states. And it becomes completely completely Eurocentric. After all, Taiwan has increased the first time since I don't know how many years, and they have gone up by 25 basis points, and they're not threatening by, by 50 and 60 and 70 basis points, because their rates of inflation, in absolute terms, have nothing to do with 8%. Mm. Uh, you know, Chinese interest rates, sorry, Chinese inflation rates is about 2%. I can't live with that. And clearly the Chinese can, and they are. Well, Taiwan went up 12.5 basis points in the last, the last oh, rise, right. which is Yesterday, really yeah. small, but it, I guess it's symbolic. And, and where, uh, um, where, Mark, are you seeing where your company is seeing pressures around Asia? Well, I, I, I think throughout, I mean, China is obviously the, the, big, the big picture. And I think I have mentioned this before. What companies are trying to do now is diversify even more substantially than they did before. So looking for other places alternative places to manufacture, not take things out of China, but to look for other places. So maybe Southeast Asia, Malaysia is becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam has been for, for some time. And figuring out what they're going to do with their China operations. Too important to a lot of companies to, uh, to move away from them, but they have to look for, for ways to, uh, to release the pressure. And, you know, are there alternatives? And, I, you know, that's, that's not certain at this mm -hmm. point either. Andrew, are we paying the price now for the last 20 years of financial repression by the central banks where they thought, you know, all they had to do every time there was a crisis was cut rates to zero, give away free money. And the result was money's been uh, invested in businesses that should never have seen that money. Uh, it's been invested in places that, you know, are, are basically junk, aren't they? And, and we're now paying the price yeah. for that. Well, uh, 
Peter, at the time, you know, since, uh, let's say since about uh, uh, 2015 to 2017, when the Fed did increase interest rates, then, of course, we had the COVID-19, and all it collapsed, and now we are back to increasing interest rates. The central banks were obsessed with bread and shoes. Okay. Now, of course, the inflation they had achieved was in asset prices. But unfortunately, asset prices are not part of the CPI. So, um, you know, I was, I was whimpering all the time, hello, central banks, you have achieved inflation. You have achieved great big whacking inflation, except it's not the inflation you want. You want bread and shoes, and you're not getting it, but you're getting financial assets. So now I guess, guess what's happened. You're going to get massive disinflation, aha, but not in bread and shoes, in mm-hmm. financial assets. It's, it's, it is uh, chasing, the, uh, chasing sort of straws in the wind, which is, uh, which is, which is upsetting. Because uh, one really never knows what is exactly what is wanted. We want inflation down. Well, which inflation? Financial mm. assets or bread and shoes? There, there is, Mark, isn't there, a positive aspect of getting interest rates back to normal for businesses because we've, we've kept on life support. Loads of zombie companies that really shouldn't have survived in a normal environment, they would have gone, been replaced by newer, healthy companies. In some ways, this is a good thing, isn't it, that we get back to that 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 sort of environment and there's an appreciation well, yeah and there's an appreciation of that too but it's the pain that's in between that you you may have to tolerate to hmm. to get through that and you know in some companies my and they especially their customers and suppliers may not survive a couple companies have mentioned that they've appointed uh, new people whose main job is to make collections from companies that there are customers or suppliers that they think are going to go bankrupt. Mm. And that's not well, just in China and so on. This is part of economy, isn't it? It is. It, eventually do. it goes back to it, of course. Of course, but it's, it's the in-between part. Mm. And, of course, the other thing they they worry about, and Andrew's been talking about managing this, this situation, is how governments are going to manage it. They've got some good people in place, often the financial side of governments, but we're not sure. And one global CEO we were doing a presentation in one of, from one of our members, and he asked, where's the next Sri Lanka? And, and the, you know, the idea is, are there other places in Asia in particular that are in, in that much trouble that are going to cause real well, we know real problems. some, don't we? Pakistan yeah, 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 is certainly yeah, yeah. Uh, heading is that way already. There could well be others. Well, does Japan fit? I don't know. It won't be well, sure. Well, like uh, I, 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 listen, I feel like being the school kid raising your head. Mm. Sir, sir, excuse me, sir, excuse me. <laughs> well, Jap- Jap- Japan at a close speed and rate with China is uh, the second biggest net lender to the world. You I know, know, net lenders don't go bankrupt. No, no. Okay, net borrowers go. No, they're not going to. They're not going to go bankrupt. Well, they're not going to go bankrupt. But, but they have they have issues, and that's what people worry about. And what about in China? Why, why hasn't China um, uh, cut rates? It's had the opportunity, didn't it, uh, earlier this week uh, to cut uh, the, uh, its medium-term lending facility, um, but it didn't do so. Why not? Uh, China had traditionally an aversion uh, to cutting interest rates, and uh, as we've already heard, like Taiwan, occasionally they would go for sort of 27 basis points increases or decreases. Why 27? Why not 25? Kind of thing. In other words, it was it was a, a calibration that was too deliberate to appear uh, sort of as it was truly realistic. And they preferred, in fact, the quantitative approach. In other words, to lower. Uh, uh, reserve requirements, which they have done in mm. the last uh, in the last nine months, and or simply tell the banks go out and lend more to SMEs. 
as opposed to cutting interest rates and standing back and see and see what happens. Remember, as long as the RMB is not fully capital convertible, they have the luxury of uh, clearing their throats and forgetting interest rates for the time being, because this is not going to have an impact, a direct impact on on the exchange rate and play the quantitative uh, drill. I mean, this is my understanding. This will be the reason why they are reluctant to go in spite of the Americans. So you're increasing. <laughs> we are cutting. <laughs> Do you think there is an element of that? They want to be seen to be different to, uh, to American Not Mark? a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. My God. I mean, it will be... It will be <laughs> It would be, it would be a, 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 a silly thing to do, and most definitely they're not doing this now. They've, they've got other things to worry, okay? Not, not and if they want to spite the Americans, they can, only send, they can always send big bunches of flour to Putin, okay? So just, <laughs> uh, just to show kind of thing. Mark, what, what, are, what are your companies up in Shanghai and, and Beijing um, saying? Are they seeing enough support? Because there's all this talk about helping businesses, but when there's an opportunity to go and do something, they, they seem to step away from it. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the issues. It's not that things have gotten better, and we, we have a – I think I've mentioned this before. Mo- mostly every week we have a, a talk with the Sh- Shanghai people, mostly focused on COVID, but now on other issues as well. And even after the restrictions were lifted, and this is for Shanghai and, and Beijing, the worry is is that in in practice it doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And still they have trouble getting supplies in. They have trouble sending things out. And, of course, it changes because if there are a few cases, then the clampdown continues. And that's going to continue for a while. So uh, that's clearly the number one issue still. Is, uh, is progress on COVID-19 and where it's going to go and whether the Chinese, especially the Chinese, get in their, their mRNA vaccines, whether you know, the okay. ones that are developing, if that helps. Okay, well, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That's Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Andrew Ferris, who's the CEO of Econosis Advisory. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's continue the discussion on interest rates and inflation and join Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General in India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Um, so, first of all, India. There's, uh, we had the inflation data out uh, earlier this week from, uh, from India. Is the central bank concerned? Yeah, there was a slight improvement on the base effect from 78 to 7%. But if you looked at all the six major inputs into inflation figures, they're all up housing, fuel, food, clothing, and particularly food and fuel uh, higher. So, of course, um, with continued uh, rise of inflation above the 6% band of the RBI, they've really got to take some uh, additional action. As you know, they've already moved 90 basis points on the repo rate to 49 Target would probably be closer to 6% by the end of this year, uh, fiscal year. So we expect more action and uh, clearly, like the rest of the world, uh, having to move more aggressively than previously. And is inflation becoming embedded in India in the way in which maybe it is? Uh, perhaps it, uh, the US where inflation expectations are really rising, aren't they? Is the same thing happening in India? 
Well, I think you need to admit with a high level of inflation. So the the band of comfort, if you will, for for the central banks, always been around four to six percent. So inflation's you know perennially been elevated in India, and that's um, something they're quite used to. So I think if they can get it into that sub six percent, closer to the four percent over the medium term, then I think uh, India will be okay. Uh, and the other dynamics around uh, GDP, around growth, around the dynamics of a, of a growing economy are still fairly strong for India. So right now, uh, whilst it'll be difficult like the rest of the world, I think India can adapt reasonably quickly. And what do you make of what the Fed did this week? A 75 basis points rate increase. Only a, only a week earlier, they were talking about 50 basis points and have suddenly had to um, up the ante. There, is the Fed now admitting that inflation is a problem? <laughs> yes, I don't think they could argue anything else here, Pete. But um, I think as we talked about it last week, that you know, monetary policy uh, is a sledgehammer, uh, and uh, the sledgehammer has to be applied in this instance because you had CPI above 8.6%. But equally, I think the, the Fed feels that with employment as strong as it is, this is the time to do it. So go hard, go hard early, um, and it resonates with the period in the mid 90s when the Fed did something similar uh, to create a soft landing. They really went very hard on rates move them 75, 50, 50, and then put the economy effectively on stall and then created effectively what was a softer landing. Um, so this is probably the intention now. They've got a stronger dynamics on the employment side. Use that opportunity to hit hard on inflation because they're well behind the curve mm. and with the, with the hope of achieving a soft landing. Um, can they do it? I don't know, but uh, that's certainly the tactics. The, the window of being able to do that seems to be narrowing, doesn't it? If we're now 75 that's basis right. points this meeting, maybe 75 next, and then 350 basis point hikes after that, uh, that, that makes it rather difficult to achieve a soft landing, I would have thought. Well, that's, yes, that's right. So, you know, you'll effectively, you, you shock, use the shock and awe from an old expression back in the turn of the century, shock and awe tactics to try to achieve it. And the key, what, key indicator to watch now going forward will be as much about how inflation peaks out, but also what happens in employment. Employment's still very strong in the US. Uh, if that starts to turn aggressively, then of course, changes the dynamics on growth, changes the dynamics on where the Fed can, how hard the Fed can move going forward. So at this stage, they've got that window to really move more aggressively. It's worrying about how this could all end, couldn't it? Particularly given that this time around, the Fed's raising interest rates uh, by the most aggressive, uh, it's the most aggressive cycle since the early 1980s. We've got a huge amount of debt has been built up in the intervening uh, in the intervening period. And the last time the Fed hiked 75 basis points, we got the tequila crisis. And the IMF had to go and bail out Mexico. Is is there a risk here that we're going to end up with some sort of debt crisis again somewhere? I think there's every chance that uh, there'll be severe dislocation uh, across uh, parts of the global economy and in particular countries. And clearly, you start with you know uh, asset prices that uh, in listed my equity markets, and then you have other you know other uh, discretionary assets that get taken. Then it's obviously real estate. One of the Key uh, drivers of sentiment, of course, is, uh, is consumers. And if consumers have to pay more for their mortgages and mm. have to reduce spending, then it can be very, very uh, difficult times. And I, I gather, if I, if I think the mortgage rates have doubled in, in, sort of the, in the last six months, like, like 12 months of the week, 
um, things are moving really quickly. So, yeah, there's a big chance, a higher chance of dislocation for sure. And finally, let me just ask you, as it's the weekend coming up, sports on our minds, the Indian Premier League, the, uh, the, 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 uh, they've sold the TV rights for the world's richest cricket competition, $6 billion. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, it uh, this competition's gone from um, $1 billion of value to $6 billion of value in, in 12, uh, 14 years, so since, uh, since 08 uh, when it was launched. Uh, as you know, India uh, loves its cricket, and the IPL is now the second most mm. valuable sporting competition in the world behind the NFL at $15 million per game uh, is the value, and uh, the Cricket Board of India split the rights between TV and digital, uh, generated significant revenues as uh, uh, increases, um, and that's good for Indian cricket. Uh, for for those who play cricket, like I do, uh, down at Oval Maidan, where we play for maybe a couple of kingfishers and a samosa, um, <laughs> it's a very different world uh, at the top end. <laughs> but uh, very exciting times for Indian cricket. Well, have a great weekend of cricket, Toby. Thank you very much. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, around the markets, not surprisingly, we're falling quite fast. The ASX 200 in Australia is down 2.5%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off two and a quarter percent. The Cosby in South Korea is down one and a quarter percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 60 or 70 points lower. Have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning at eight o'clock. Coming up after the news is COVID updates. Janice Wong will be hosting the show this morning. Uh, weather forecast, mainly cloudy, few showers, hot with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature of about 32 degrees. There will be some few showers and a bit windy over the weekend to early next week. Uh, it's 29 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The chairman of the Soho Association says a new measure that requires bar and nightclub patrons to show a negative COVID test result to gain entry has had a devastating impact on the number of customers. Richard Feldman was commenting a day after the measure took effect. It was announced on Tuesday following several recent outbreaks linked to nightlife. Mr Feldman told RTHK that outbreaks in bars amounted to only 3% of total cases in Hong Kong. He said he was concerned the new rule would encourage people to head to illegal bars. I'm concerned that this policy will actually cause people to go to underground or illegal bars or stay at home with their friends and party at home where there's no ventilation, no capacity requirement, no social distancing, no leave home safe app and no vaccination requirements. So my concern is that it's actually going to cause a spread of the virus. Yesterday, Hong Kong's daily COVID tally continued to rise with 1,085 new local cases and 94 imported ones. The hospital authority has pledged to reduce the waiting times for patients to receive specialist care, saying it's not ideal that some new patients need to wait around two years for their appointments. Lau Ka Hin, a chief manager with the HA, said they'd rolled out different measures to tackle the issue, including opening more than 100 integrated clinics for patients to see a nurse or other medical professional before their doctor's appointment. He said specialist doctors would also advise family doctors on the conditions of patients to reduce 
unnecessary referrals to specialist outpatient clinics or SOPCs. The specialist will go into the family medicine clinic and then to talk with the doctors as well as the patient to know the problems of the patients and also to order some investigations and then interpret the investigation. Afterwards, they will also give some advice how to manage the patient. If this broke, the patients will not be referred to the SOPC and then we can shorten the waiting time. Two weeks of climate talks in Germany have ended in disagreement between rich and poor countries over compensation for the damaging effects of global warming. Here's the BBC's Matt McGrath. Climate protesters in Bonn chant about loss and damage. These two words have proven an explosive mix in global efforts to tackle climate change. Negotiators from developing countries argue that the heat waves, droughts and floods they are now suffering were caused by the historic carbon emitted by Europe and the US. And they want those 